April 14, 1912. The Titanic crashed into a huge iceberg and sank. Yep, we've covered that. But what if this time we use the ice to bring the ship to the surface? This requires several thousand feet of wire mesh and a lot of liquid nitrogen. Our goal is to put the Titanic in a huge block of ice that will raise the ship to the surface. Now to do this, you need to wrap the wreck in a wire mesh and cover it with liquid nitrogen. The first problem you face is the inability to wrap the ship completely. You need to somehow lift the ship a little to put the mesh under it. Let's say that by some miracle you manage to do so. Next, you need to transport hundreds of large tanks of liquid nitrogen. You're underwater, opening the tanks, and it's so cold that the icy water of the Atlantic Ocean looks like it's boiling. The nitrogen just sizzles, dissipates, and certainly doesn't create a block of ice around the mesh. Alright, new attempt. Raise the Titanic with the help of huge magnets. For this, you need a large cruiser and some powerful magnets. You attach thick cables to the magnets and lower them to the bottom. Bright projectors illuminate the black ocean depths. Parts of the wreck are visible. The magnets descend lower and cling to the iron hull of the ship. The cruiser pulls the cables and magnets up. Some of them detach from the Titanic as the iron surface is covered with reefs and corals. Some parts of the wreck break away from the ship and rise. The power of the cruiser is not enough. One of the cables is torn. Not only the weight of the individual parts of the Titanic, but also the colossal water pressure interferes with the operation. The sunken ship can't be raised completely, only its small parts. In reality, there has already been an attempt to raise the Titanic in parts. The $5 million operation failed. Nylon slings were attached to a large part of the wreck. The other ends of the slings were connected to the diesel engines. For the entire operation, they used a mini-submarine. A piece of the Titanic weighing 21 tons was pulled up, but one of the slings broke because of the strong water pressure. Then, one by one, the other cables began to snap and a huge piece fell back to the seafloor. By this time, all the participants of the rescue operation had run out of food supplies and it was far from the nearest shore, so they decided not to make a second attempt. A book was written and a movie was made about how the Titanic was lifted with compressed air. In reality, no one even attempted this operation. To do this, you'd need several hundred large cylinders of compressed air. At first, you install them inside the Titanic's hull and wait for them to pull the ship to the surface. As soon as you lower the cylinders under the water, they immediately float upwards. This greatly complicates the operation. You need to fasten the cylinders with cables and pull them down to the bottom using a powerful submarine, or better yet, several of them. Because of the high pressure, the cylinders might burst. In this case, the blast wave would hit other cylinders and provoke a catastrophe. Too expensive and unsafe. The most expensive and complex plan to raise the Titanic is probably the one where scientists somehow extract hydrogen and oxygen from the ocean water. Then, these extracted elements must fill special containers. Those containers are attached to the ship, and the Titanic would rise to the surface. Even if you extract oxygen and hydrogen from millions of tons of water, the rest of the ocean water will replace it. A machine that will be capable of such filtering should cost billions of dollars. Or you can come up with a chemical element that will use a chain reaction to purify all the water. In this case, the entire world ocean will be left without vital oxygen. Someone once suggested blowing up the Titanic. You'd need to lower several boxes of dynamite to the ocean floor. 
The boxes must be completely sealed to prevent the dynamite from getting wet. Next, you need to run several miles of wire conducting an electrical current to them. Once all this is done, you sail to a safe distance. Now, you're going to press the button to pass the current through the wire and activate the dynamite. 3, 2, 1, stop! Why would you do this? Even if it works, the wreckage of the Titanic will be scattered in all directions on the seabed. It will be impossible to lift the Titanic from the ocean. Imagine a huge hook that can fetch the Titanic and lift it from the bottom like a fish. This hook must be huge to pick up a sunken ship. Let's say you created it. Next, you're on a huge cruiser, sailing up to the crash site and lowering the hook down like an anchor. It falls right on the Titanic, but doesn't cling to it. You need special equipment to attach a bus-sized hook to the Titanic. It would include a huge submarine with mechanical arms. To build such a device and make it work under enormous pressure is already next to impossible. But let's say you finally managed to hook the Titanic. It's then you realize the cruiser doesn't have enough power to lift the ship, weighing more than 50 tons, and the hook that adds about 10 tons more. To complete your task, you'll need a few more cruisers and a few extra million dollars. Hmm. Once hot wax cools, it hardens and floats on the water surface. What if we deliver it to the ocean floor and pour it inside the Titanic? This may work, given that wax is not an expensive material. So you melt the wax, pour it into strong tanks, and pull them to the bottom with the help of a submarine. The tanks can withstand enormous pressure, and the submarine has enough power to lower the wax to such a depth. The containers are placed inside the Titanic. Through a remote control, you open the containers, but the wax doesn't pour out. The deeper you go, the colder the water gets. While you were delivering the containers to the ship, the wax was cooling down and getting solid inside. Several containers are pressed against the top of the ship, but it's not enough to lift the Titanic. Other containers simply float away to the surface. And even if the containers were thermostatic and kept hot inside all the time, once released, the wax would solidify in an instant. There would just be no time for it to spread and cover the Titanic from within. So it would just float up as well. No one could ever have imagined that the unsinkable Titanic would collide with an iceberg. Except for one man, William Thomas Stead. Well, not directly, of course. It's not like he jolted out of bed one day, envisioning the fall of the Titanic. Rather, he wrote an empowering short story called How the Mail Steamer Went Down in Mid-Atlantic by a Survivor on March 3, 1886, 26 years before Titanic sank. Okay, let's do a super quick recap. Titanic was traveling from Southampton to New York in April 1912 in the North Atlantic. The ship hit an iceberg, and less than three hours later, it was completely underwater. Out of 2,208 people on board, just 706 survived due to the limited number of lifeboats and icy cold water. Another passenger ship, Carpathia, heard the distress call, picked up the survivors, and brought them safely to New York. The short story William Stead wrote was about Thomas, a British sailor, who got on a passenger liner bound for the U.S. At one point, the protagonist realized there weren't enough lifeboats for everyone on board the ship in case something happened. A couple of days later, heavy fog covered everything in sight. Luck was not on the liner's side, and it collided with a stray ship, just like Titanic struck an iceberg. 
Only 200 out of the 916 people made it safely to the U.S. The main character managed to survive by jumping into the water and climbing into one of the lifeboats. Now, you'd think that the story riled up everyone in the industry to add extra lifeboats on ships. But sadly, it received very little attention when it was published. Even more tragically, William Thomas Stead was on Titanic when it sank, and he didn't make it. The survivors who knew Stead mentioned that he had always been cheerful and had loved to chat during meals. He complimented the ship's design and how sturdy it was. Witnesses also talked about how he'd been helpful when the ship had been sinking, having given his life jacket to someone else. He was a journalist by profession and was on his way to New York for a ceremony. One of his most important contributions to modern journalism was the use of illustrations in every newspaper article. He also introduced newspaper interviews, and they're still used to this day along with illustrations. Can you guess how many theories of the Titanic's sinking exist? Right, loads, including a theory of my own, which I'm going to share with you today. And then you can decide which one seems most likely to you. One Piece Theory The very first version of the events was the One Piece Theory. It's very simple and basically claims that the sinking happened without any breakups. 2.15 a.m., the ship collides with an iceberg. 2.18 a.m., the lights go out. The ship reaches an angle of 45 degrees and then quickly begins its final plunge into the ocean depths. 2.20 a.m., only about three minutes later, the RMS Titanic disappears under the surface of the ocean for good. The liner doesn't break. It just goes down as a whole piece. Of course, this can't be true. In April 1912, the Titanic was not only the largest ship in the world, but also the largest ship ever built. It's hard to believe that such a heavy vessel could have gone down without breaking. That's just impossible. Well, I mean, you can't blame the theorists. Before we found the wreckage, there were no other theories. Wait a minute, or were there? The day after the disaster, the survivors gave their interviews. They talked about what had happened, and some of them claimed that the ship had actually broken in two when it had been flooded. For example, Jack Thayer, a 17-year-old boy, outlined the sinking as he remembered it. And L.D. Skidmon drew a sketch based on his description. The picture clearly showed the ship breaking in half. But no one believed Jack or other witnesses. There was no evidence, so their claims were received with a grain of salt. But in 1985, things changed. First Breakup Theory That's when Robert Ballard found the wreckage of the Titanic in the depths of the ocean. When people saw the wreckage, it became clear that Jack and the other survivors had been right. The Titanic did indeed break in two when it sank. So it's time for a new theory. 2.15 a.m. The keel breaks, the starboard list eases, and the hull continues to bow and crumble. 2.17 a.m. The galley sections break off. The towers immediately drop under their own weight. The lights go out. The stern is pulled into the air. The bow breaks off and starts sinking. The aft is barely hanging on to the starboard side of the stern section superstructure. The stern section slowly lists over to port as it begins sinking again. It rises up one last time and pivots in a semicircle as it sinks. It all sounds pretty convincing, right? But people began to find plot holes in this theory. 
For example, the Titanic couldn't have held together until it reached such a high angle. The breakup would have had to begin much earlier. This only meant there was still a vast field for research and speculations. So people started to come up with their own possible scenarios. How about we look first at the ones no one likes? V-Break and Aaron 1912 V-Break According to the first breakup theory, the Titanic reached a high angle and the weight of its unsupported stern caused it to crack from the top down. But it's physically impossible. So are there any other ideas? In 2006, Roger Long, a naval architect, decided to research a so-called V-theory. 2.17 a.m. The breakup begins at a shallow angle, perhaps as little as 11 degrees. The upper structure fails and starts to crack. At this moment, only its double bottom is holding the Titanic together, but it starts to bend under the strain too, failing the ship. Water is pouring through the crack. It increases the weight in between the two sections, bending the Titanic the other way and pulling it into shape somewhat resemblant to the letter B. The upper decks get mangled and bent together. The bow heads for the bottom, and the stern is the last to sink. This theory has since been disproven many times, though. Roger Long believed it because the broken edges of the upper decks in the Titanic's bow section were all mangled and crushed. However, we have learned that it happened because of the so-called hydraulic downburst, the force of the water crashing into the deck as the Titanic hit the ocean floor. Another V-break theory states that the bow had risen out of the water after the break. This theory was mainly peddled by one former Titanic enthusiast. But not only has this theory been proved to be physically impossible due to the bow's incredible mass, it was also inspired by incorrect information. Remember Jack Thayer? Well, it was based on his sketch and the words of a couple of passengers. But the truth is, none of them had ever seen the Titanic break down like this. Jack himself even stated in an interview that the sketch was completely out of context to what he had actually seen. It was drawn by a passenger on the Carpathia, the ship that received the Titanic's distress signal and came to its aid. It couldn't be used as evidence. The night was dark and scary. A few hundred people were sitting in lifeboats, not knowing what would happen next or what their lives would look like from that moment on. All they knew was the giant ship they had been sailing on just a couple of hours earlier disappeared in front of their eyes. They were alone, waiting for help. Is anyone even coming? They had no idea if the rest of the ships that were traveling relatively close to them had heard their call for help. There was nothing else to do but wait. The Titanic, an iceberg, and one night, April 14th, 1912. It's one of the most famous stories from modern history that everyone talks about, even now, more than 100 years later. The 16 lifeboats on board could only accommodate a little more than 50%, 1,178 people, of the total number of passengers that were on board. And many of them were still half empty. In one of them, there was a little two-month-old girl, Milvina Dean, the youngest passenger on board the giant ship. Her parents had decided to leave England because they wanted to build a better life in the United States. Her father had some family in Kansas, and he hoped they could start their own business there. The Dean family didn't actually choose to be on board this giant legendary liner. 
but because of a coal strike, they got transferred there. So they boarded it at Southampton as third-class passengers. Novena's father felt when their ship hit the iceberg on that cold and seemingly peaceful night. He immediately went up to investigate. When he saw that people were panicking and that the crew members were giving warnings on the actual danger of the situation, he rushed to their cabin to find his wife. He told her to dress the children and quickly go up on deck. The crew members gave the order to get the lifeboats ready and start transferring women and children there first. It was a chance for at least some family members to get to safety. Milvina, her mother, and her brother got in lifeboat 10. They were among the first off the liner out of the 706 crew members and passengers who managed to escape the sinking ship. Later, the liner called Carpathia heard their call for help, came for the passengers, and took them to New York. Her father, unfortunately, stayed behind them and didn't manage to save himself. Milvina grew up in Ashurst, England, which wasn't far from where she set sail on the ship. She spent her life working as a secretary and an assistant in small businesses in Southampton. She never married. Milvina always used to say she never spoke about the whole Titanic thing because she remembered nothing about it. That's it for today. So hey, if you pacified your curiosity, then give the video a like and share it with your friends. Or if you want more, just click on these videos and stay on the bright side.